Turn, if you will, to the book of Isaiah tonight, chapter 54. Just so you're not scared, I want to tell you I'm not covering all the chapters. I hope you did. How many of you read Wearsby? I've read the chapters. Good for you. That's great because um, it is a great book. And even though it's a lot of prophecy, it has a lot of um, great things for us in it. So tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of some of the chapters, and then I'm going to make it real personal by telling you personal things that God has spoken to me through the years out of this these great chapters. I mean, they have just been so rich in my life. Some of the verses in these chapters have actually been the most meaningful to me and personal to me through the years, whether it was in direction of the ministry for us, whether um, he was leading me on raising the kids and giving me promises for those kids and our family. But it's continual amazing to me that out of scriptures, this book is alive. And I wake up in the morning and I read it, and the verses just hit me in the face of something I'm going through, questions I might have for the Lord, answers to problems, direction, and it's so clear. And I just go, how did Isaiah write this thousands of years ago? And this just is real to me. And, of course, that's the Holy Spirit out of this book of 66 books and all the authors and all of the many centuries And yet it is so accurate, it's so clear, and it applies to your life today. So I would encourage you, as you ever go back and read Isaiah again, finish out this book, take it personally. Not just the historical and the prophecy, which is fascinating today, but that God is speaking things to you individually. It's real, and he's talking to you. And I just, I love that about God's word. He really, really talks to us through his Holy Spirit. Well, in... In this chapter, in chapter um, 54, the theme of this chapter is Sing, O Baron. And this is a song that accompanies salvation and the future glories of Israel. Following last time when you were here with Janie in chapter 53. And Sandy before that, bringing in salvation and the glories that are coming to Israel. And um, this just is a perfect following for that. The first words after the crucifixion on chapter 53 is sing. Isn't that great when you think about that? They went, you know, you went through the crucifixion in that chapter, and it's sing, O Israel. Baron, the Baron is talking about Sarah because she is the mother of Israel, and she was barren, remember, and childless until she was in her old age, and she had Isaac when she was 90. I can't even imagine having Isaac now, let alone when I was 90 years old. But you know what? God gave her the strength, and millions have come from her and Abraham. He promised Abraham, your children will be like the sand of the sea and the stars in the heaven. We can't count either one of those. And yet that's what he promised him, and that's what we've seen. We've seen in these hundreds and thousands of years the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. And I love that because I think... When you see those and they're fulfilled, I can trust him for my life today. Can't you? And when he speaks to you a promise, you know God keeps his word. It says, too, in verse 2, enlarge 
the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. They would grow and they would occupy the land of Israel. Today there are more Jews in Israel probably than ever before. The number of them, they have headed back. After Nazi Germany, they just started pouring in from all over the world and going back to Israel. He has kept the covenant that he promised with Abraham. And and that is just so awesome. All those years later, he's kept that promise. And we see so many things fulfilled in Israel today that he promised. In the millennium, which is a thousand-year reign of Christ, Israel will occupy all the borders of Israel. The wife of Jehovah will be restored. And, of course, God often refers in the scriptures to the wife of Jehovah is Israel. And when she was unfaithful, she was an unfaithful wife to God. And how um, with Hosea, he gave an example, go marry a woman of harlotry. And this is what Israel looks like to me because they have turned on me. And God referred to himself as their husband. He loved them and they left him. And so this is a picture in the millennium of Israel's going to come back and going to be restored. So, verse 5. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Verse 7, for a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your God. This is a great scripture for Israel because he did punish them and they did have to pay for their sins and yet God restores them. And he's such a merciful God and he's such a God of comfort to Israel in these chapters and it's a hope for them of their future. That's what it's referring to. Well, now I'm just going to go into the personal part of this chapter because these verses meant so much to me. Don and I had three boys. They were three years apart. Well, the first two were three years apart to the very minute. They were born on each other's, on, the, on their birthday and the same minute. So the second one came along, and um, so they've never forgotten each other's birthday. The other one a couple years later. And um, in raising those boys, I used to worry about them. You know how you worry about your kids? And my kids, you know, were... Well, one of the ladies in church who had four girls said that my children were like, six children and I don't think that was a compliment at the time and I thought she doesn't understand she has all those girls these are boys (laughs) that I used to pray for them are they going to be okay because one thing I used to say to the Lord is Don and I wanted to serve you and you called us into ministry and we're and we love doing it we absolutely love it this is our call we wouldn't want to do anything else in life but Lord if we're following you and we're obedient to you I want to ask one thing from you. I want all my children in heaven with me. That was a real cry of my heart. And so I would pray that, and I would say, Lord, are my kids going to be okay? You know, because some days they were better than others, and one of them was quite a rascal. And so I would just say, Lord, are they going to be okay? And one day the Lord gave me the scripture, and I will never forget it, verse 13. All your children will be taught of the Lord and great will be the peace of your children. And I have never forgotten that. And it was years later when they were all adults 
One was married. I think the second one might have been. But I, I just, you know, was looking at them, and I'm thinking, are they going to be okay? Are they going to continue all their lives with the Lord? Lord, are they going to be in heaven with me? I just want to know for sure. And they had walked with the Lord, but, you know, sometimes you have, you know, days of backsliding or whatever. So I just, Lord, just tell me. And the Lord, I remember sitting in my bed in the morning having devotions. I remember right where I was. And the Lord said, I already told you. And I go, when did you tell me? When I gave you verse 13. I go, oh, yeah. So my reading that day, I'm reading it, and for some reason, I'm starting at the top of that section in verse 10. And this was the promise that he gave me for the promise. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you, a mother. I added that last part. But it's true. The Lord said, all your children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be the peace of your children. And then he goes on, and he says, though the, the mountains and hills are gone, my kindness is not going to depart from you, nor my covenant of peace. And I knew that I knew my boys were going to be okay, that they were going to be in heaven with me. I, that is such peace, isn't it? It's so awesome when you know that. And we went through difficult times. And I remember where I worried about it, particularly about one of them, um, fell away from the Lord for a few years. And um, I remember I was speaking at a retreat in Texas, and a woman came to me and gave me scriptures that um, the kids were going to be okay. And then another time, a girl in England where I was speaking came to me and said, I didn't tell her to do this. She just said, I asked the Lord what to pray for for you, and she told me this child, this son of yours, that I'm to pray for. And then she went on to tell me this word from the Lord, and she said, the Lord has always trimmed the hedges on that child, and he's going to go for the root of the matter. And I didn't know what that was going to be or what it was going to look like. And I remember that he had bought a Harley Davidson, and I thought, is he going to die? And she, said, and she had a big smile on her face, and she said, no, he's not going to die. He's not. He's going to be okay, but the Lord's going to deal with him. And then I went to the Lord, and I said, is it true what she said? Was that a word from you? And the Lord confirmed it in my devotions that morning when he said, Though it tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. And it came in three months. And he went through a horrible tragedy in his life. But you know what? God used it and turned him around. And um, today he helps so many other people that have gone through tragedies. And God just used it in his life tremendously. So I, I love the word of God because it's, it's so rich and so clear. In verse 17 in this chapter... Um, we were going through uh, a situation with a church that we had taken over. And the previous pastor had been fired. He was into mischief, and they let him go. And so Chuck said to Don, you better go over there and help them. And so we did, and we were there a couple of years. And that previous pastor was very angry at us because we ended up taking the church way after he was gone. But he began to you know, say things, and I, I just began to pray, Lord, don't let him hurt our character. You know, someone can print something in a newspaper or online, and people believe it, and it's very scary. And I just said, Lord, you know, Christian character is all we have. That's all we have. And if that's destroyed, we're just in trouble. Can you protect our character 
from this character <laughs> that, you know, could say things, and I just went to the scriptures again, and this was the verse the Lord gave me. I write dates down. I write down what happens in the dates, and that was in, I won't tell you the date, then you'll figure out who it was. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Is that clear? And it was like the Lord said, don't worry about him. I'm taking care of you. I've got you covered. Don't worry about what people say. Once again, Isaiah stepped into my life and spoke. In chapter 55, the theme of this chapter is God's gracious and global invitation of salvation. Now it's just going to show you that it is made public. In 53, it was the work of Christ, the suffering servant, that makes possible the invitation of salvation. But in chapter 54, the invitation was offered and confined to just Israel. But in chapter 55, in this chapter, it's an invitation extended to the whole world. I love that. It just moves right on through. It is inviting the whole world. And I'm so happy because I'm a Gentile. And that let the Gentile world in because the Jews, this Messiah came for the Jews. But, you know, he really came for the whole world. And I'm so excited about that, that God reached out and took us in, and he loves us. Ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the water. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Salvation is free. That living water is free. That was a song. Do any of you remember that song? It was forever ago. It was in the 70s in the Jesus movement. And those musicians used to write songs to scripture verses. And sometimes it would be obscure scripture verses, but I learned those verses because of the songs, and that was one of the ones that we learned. Come ye to the water. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Ho is like a startled cry in the night. Ho. It's a Philadelphia word, actually. <laughs> I think of Rocky Balboa, you know. Yo and ho and all that. But ho is like ho. It's kind of that startled word in the night. And it's kind of like he's stopping you. Ho, everyone that thirsts. Everyone. All people. From every tribe, tongue, race, nation. Station in life, come. Who thirsts, come. Everyone, come. It reminds me so much when he talked to the woman at the well in chapter 4. You know, I have water that you know not of. But if you drink it, You'll never thirst again. And she wanted it. Do you ever get tired of yourself? You get tired of this world? I get tired of the news. And it just, you know, goes on and on. And I think, I'm thirsty for more. I really can't take all the news. I really need my devotions because the news is discouraging and this book is encouraging. And so I have to get up in the morning and read it because it changes the whole perspective of my thoughts and of the day. You can wake up and you can have negative thoughts or discouragement or maybe Christmas is coming and you're not ready and you're just like, oh, and the relatives are supposed to come, but are they going to get along? And, you know, all of these issues come up and you wake up and then you open up this book and God comforts you. 
He knows that we need it. Salvation is free because Jesus paid the price on the cross with his precious blood. And then in 6 and 7, it talks about forgiveness and repentance. Let the wicked forsake the way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. You know, there's no reconciliation without repentance. I always think you can't get saved until you repent. You've got to know you're a sinner before you can understand taking salvation, right? You have to know that that we are born sinners. And that's why Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. They don't think they need me. I came for the sinner. And he was so good with reaching out to the sinners. And we are all sinners. This chapter also was very important to me early on as a young pastor's wife. Don and I were in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and Don was on staff with Chuck there, and everything was going fabulous. My parents, my dad had retired. He was a doctor in Pasadena, and he moved out to Costa Mesa where we were with Chuck, and he moved in across the street from us. And um, it was so excited. We have we lived on a cul-de-sac. My oldest son was about mm, maybe four or five, five or six, and he would walk to my mom's just a couple houses over and go have toast with her in the morning. And it was just so much fun. And I just loved my folks being there. I'd made godly, godly friends in this Jesus movement. I was so excited to go, and I mean, to, to minister in that church. And then Chuck came to Dawn and said, I'd like you to go up to Lake Arrowhead and start a Bible college and pastor the church up there. And some of the time we ran the conference. And Dawn was all excited to go. I was not. I have to confess that. I just didn't know how I was going to tell my parents. I was going to miss my friends, just terrible. I didn't know one person in Lake Arrowhead, not one. I met my neighbor eventually. She was Mormon, and she was really sweet, but I didn't know any Christians. And then the church started, and I got to know some people, but it was just a really hard time. And I remember before we left, I was I had a Bible study in my home that Chuck's wife taught, and that last couple times of Bible study, there were seven women, 70 women coming to my house. And so the city called and said, you cannot have whatever you're having at your house anymore because it's trash day. And the trash guys can't get to the trash can because whatever's happening at your house, you have way too many cars, so move it. And so we moved it over to the church. But just before that happened, I was sitting in the house at Kay's Bible study. She was teaching, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, well... He always kind of does that with me. Well, are you willing to go to the mountains? And I remember saying, Lord, please don't ask me to do that. I just, I can't bear that. I don't want to hurt my parents. I, You know, I don't want to lose my friends here. This is revival. Why would you take us out of revival? And, um, and then I turned to Isaiah. And I read this section of scripture. And it totally described the mountains completely. Verse 8. Chapter 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow, and there was lots of snow in Lake Arrowhead from heaven, I do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, 
but I will accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And I was thinking of Don was going up there to bring the word of God. It was basically a Mormon community. And some Christians had come to the property that Chuck ended up buying for the um, church and the Bible college out there and prayed over it and laid hands on it that Christians would buy that property and Christians would come to that mountain. Verse 12, For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. And the mountains, Lake Arrowhead is in the mountains, in the woods, pine trees, shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up a cypress, and instead of a briar shall come up a myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. And it ended up that that Bible college sent out students all over the country. And I've been to some of their churches. They're now pastors. And I've seen what has happened and what God did. He sent out people across the country to start Calvary Chapels. And then I remember when I was there a short time, I was very depressed. You know mountain fever, where you, you just get where, I don't know what it is, cabin fever, whatever that thing was. I'd never had it before. I'm, I'm usually pretty happy-go-lucky, and I felt like this black cloud was over my head. And I remember saying to Don one day, he, he would go to work, and I wouldn't tell him. And this one day he went to work, because I didn't want to complain. And he said... He came back in, he forgot something, and he looked at me and I was crying. He said, what is wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I'm just depressed up here, and I'm so discouraged. And I said, the Lord promised me in Isaiah, in this chapter, joy and peace. The trees of the field will clap their hands. I haven't seen it yet, Dawn. (laughs) I'm waiting, he promised me. And he just looked at me and he said, you already have it, because you have Jesus inside of you. And he is joy and peace. You just need to take a hold of him. And he left, and I went to the Lord, and I said, Lord, he's right. You are joy and peace. You have promised me this scripture. Could you just take away this black cloud? And it was the most incredible thing. It was like a scissors came out of heaven and cut the black cloud, and it split apart, and it never came back. The thing I learned was I understood what depression was. I never understood that before, but I understand people, and I have compassion for them that have depression. So that was the good that I learned out of that. But the thing that was so amazing was this scripture described exactly where we were to go and live. And in the end, when we left there, there were 500 people jammed in this room in the church. And the Lord said to me, look at this room. It was in the half-round And I knew all their stories now. I'd been there about four years, four or five years or something, and and I knew them where they came from. They came from the bank and from the grocery store, and and they had, you know, several had come to Christ, and the crazy barber that had naked women on his drakes and played crazy music and, you know, and gave Don a haircut, and next thing I know, he came to church and got saved, and when Don went back for a haircut, because he had to witness to this guy. The drapes were gone. He was playing worship songs. He wasn't serving beer. He was serving water, whatever. You know, I mean, it was just like I saw those people, and they had changed, and God made a difference on that mountain. And I sat there, and I looked at that packed room, and I thought, what if I hadn't come? I wouldn't have met them, and I fell in love with them. I wouldn't have known them. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, if you had not have come, 
I would have sent someone else, and you would have missed all of this. And that was really important for me early on in ministry because I learned a very important lesson that I had to follow God. Usually Don got called first, and then the Lord would give me scripture to back it, and, and we were at one heart everywhere we went. But the thing was, I just had to learn to trust God in my life and go where he told me to go, because if I didn't, I was going to miss out on wonderful things that he had for us. All right. Next chapter um, is, let's see which one. We're going to do 57. So skip on over to 57. I really picked this chapter in particular because I read it, and I just thought it was describing today. It was describing the world today. So I thought you would enjoy getting into this one because of that. The theme is the approaching end of the age, and it means comfort for the righteous and condemnation for the wicked. Okay? Today the wicked have it easy, according to this chapter. They are the ones who seem to be in comfort. Have you noticed that today? You're thinking, the liars are winning. People that aren't telling the truth or that are evil or trying to close down Christianity, and they're, they're just like getting away with it, and they're having a great time. And they're very rich, and they're very powerful, um, and you know they just don't want anything to do with Christianity. And so we look at that, and we go, why are those people winning? They're winning. But when we get to the end of this age, it's going to change, it says. There is going to be comfort for the righteous and condemnation for the wicked. And we haven't gotten there yet. So if you're discouraged, no, we're not there yet. But just be encouraged and have hope because it's coming. You know, I was uh, teaching in San Jose this past week and um, for Christmas, and I was saying, you know, there is hope for this world because... When Jesus was born, hope was born. And we can look at that. When the world doesn't seem hopeful, he is. In um, verse 1, it says in chapter 57, The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil, and he shall enter into peace, and they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his unrighteousness. I had a hard time understanding that. So I looked up um, J. Vernon McGee on this, and he's so simple, and he was really great in this section. And what he said, that the righteous perish, many of God's wonderful Christians are being taken away today through the doorway of death. Have you known so many more people that have passed away in the last years? My husband had four family members die within two years a couple years ago. He lost his parents, which was understandable, they were older, but then he lost both of his brothers. One was an accident, and one was Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, it was just like, all of a sudden, there was a family of six, and then there was a family of two, um, Don and his sister. And I said to one of my sister-in-laws, whose husband had passed away, I said, Margie, maybe God's taking all the good people home. <laughs> she says, in that case, I want to go. <laughs> and I just, um, I thought about that, though. Why is he taking some and not others and taking wonderful Christians home and early sometimes? And then why are we left? But I think that there's a purpose in the ones he leaves because he's got a job for us to do. We're soldiers in the Lord's army. And if he's left us here, 
then he's called us to be here, and he's going to use us in this day and age for a purpose. The future is going to be rough, and it's going to get rougher. And they have been removed by God from a lot of trouble. I really think my brother-in-laws are really blessed because they don't have to see what's coming today. They missed COVID entirely and, and what's coming down the pike. And I think God really spared them, and it says they rest in peace. And So apparently that is what Isaiah is talking about here. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each walking in their uprightness. If he dies in his bed in his sleep, he shall have rest. And they won't have to go through these tough times that are leading up to the tribulation. That pressure and that's like a pressure cooker in the world that's coming. They're going to be at peace regardless of what comes. And now he addresses the wicked. Um, they have been persecuting the righteous in verse um, 3 and 4. But come here, you sons of sorcerers you offspring of adulterers and the harlot. He's pretty rough here and pretty straightforward. Whom do whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood? These are the ones that have persecuted the children of God, and that's what he's addressing here. They are persecuting the righteous. The wicked in the last days have attacked the righteous, more and more and more every month, every day. It seems like it gets worse, and they're getting pretty bold about attacking Christians. I was just up in a church um, in a very, very liberal part of the country, and they actually have talked about going underground because they think it's coming, and in that area it probably is. The persecution is really, really hard. And um, they, they don't want us to meet. They don't want Christians to meet. It's just out there. It's the truth. And it's worse in some areas of the country than others. So we know that this is going to get, it's building up. And Jesus said it would come. The days are going to get rough. Things are going to happen. They're going to persecute Christians more and more. You're going to be the bad guys. And what did Jesus say? When these things happen, don't be afraid. I told you they were coming. And he promises that he will be with us. No matter what we go through, he is going to go through that with us. The wickedness is going to become so bad in the last days, and they're going to attack the righteous. And I see that. I see mothers and fathers that have gone to school boards to stick up for what they want their children to learn, which is morality and righteousness and good things, and now they call those mothers terrorists. I mean, it's all words, like woke. It's just words, and they're lies. So don't go for all of that. But they think if they say it long enough, the world will believe them, and they have all of the reporters and the news on their side. But don't you go there with them. Those are lies from the enemy. But they have attacked the righteous. There's gross immorality today. It said it would come. There's adultery here and murder. I, I, I look at the percentage of murders in Chicago and New York. and I was just near Portland, and they said they don't report it anymore. There's, all the businesses downtown are boarded up. There's murders. I can't take my wife into that part of the city. And part. It's just horrific. And so it says this is going to come. There will be violence. And then they you know, defund the police. So 
We see these things coming, and Isaiah said they would come. So there's going to be um, adultery and murder and covetousness. And covetousness is a really, um, idolatry is what he calls it, but they're pretty much the same thing. You know, when you want something, you just want it so bad and you're consumed with it, you're really idolizing that thing. And, it, and it's idolatry, and those are things God hates. And so we need to put the Lord first in our lives. As far as adultery goes, it used to be, you know, that um, sins were committed in secret. But today, sin is brazen, and it parades itself, doesn't it? Just turn on the television set. Men used to be ashamed of their sins, but today, they are not. It is a, not just an immoral world, it is amoral. There are no morals. And sleeping together, not being married, or being married to someone else, was hidden. But not in this generation. It's been accepted. Sometimes I've seen Christians accept it. But the world expects it. They just expect it. Do you remember when you used to watch television and A Kiss Goodnight was a really big thing on a romantic movie? Now they just go to bed together. And they just, they just indoctrinate you with that. They brainwash you with it, like that's okay. And it's not okay if you read this book. It's considered wicked to the Lord. This generation, you see, was raised without God. It's the first one in our country. They grew up to believe in evolution. They're just blobs. Blobs don't have souls. They're just animals. And so they are without God. And they uh, took out prayer from the school. And all of those things that were spiritual, they took out. Probably a lot of them don't do any of the Christmas things that have anything to do with the Lord Jesus. It's hard to find um, nativity scenes on ornaments. One of the uh, bookstore owners was telling me in a Christian bookstore in California. So we're living in a different world. But then in verse 15 to 19, God's going to bring some comfort. God will punish the wicked and the rebellious but for um, because of their sin. But if they forsake their sin, he will heal them and he will save them. He is gracious and he forgives. Verse 19, peace, peace to him that is far off and him that is near, I will heal him. There is no peace in verse 20 and 21 says the Lord to the wicked. The wicked cannot have peace in this world. They certainly don't have peace today. My mom used to quote that to me all the time. There's no rest for the wicked, honey. There's no rest for the wicked. (laughs) And she was right. One of my kids, when they turned 18, decided they were on their own, and they, they weren't bad. They rented a room from some friends, a family, and they just rented a bedroom and went to college and went to work in a restaurant, but I knew he wasn't ready to leave home. I just knew. He just wanted to be independent. He wanted to live his own life. But I kind of knew that he really wasn't ready for that. And so I just, um, you know, I really prayed for him. And the Lord just spoke to me out of this book, this chapter in these verses. And he said in verse 18, I was praying for him one morning. And the Lord said, I've seen his ways, and I'll heal him. And I felt like the Lord saw that he was hurting. You know, he had compassion on him. And I will also lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, which would be his mother. And it wasn't long. He was 18. He came home again. In fact, he moved in and out several times after that. 
But, you know, I just saw the Lord loved him and cared about him, and he was hurting, trying to be a grown-up, and God just brought him back, and it worked out great. The next chapter is chapter 58, and just quickly, the Lord personally used that chapter in our life to take us to the church in San Jose, which was probably the most difficult church we took and the most exciting. We were there 11 years. That is where our son is today, who has been fined $3.8 million for keeping his church open. Uh, they dropped it to $2.8 million. Isn't that nice? So this church was very uh, difficult. It had a split. It was another denomination of an assembly of God, and it had been very successful. It probably sent out more missionaries from the assemblies than any church in the country. And then it just started falling apart. They kept building and building when they didn't have the money, and now they're in a huge debt. And then they had splits, and then there was gossip. And the gossip was just destroying the church. It had 5,000 people in that church, and it went down to 300 and about 80 people, maybe less. And when we came, a bunch of them left. And I'm just going, this is really hopeless, but the Lord told us to go, that there had been a terrible accident, and we needed to go. And I said, Lord, give me scripture to tell me we need to, Don feels like we should go. I went up there with him and saw it, and I saw the people there, and I knew that we needed to help them. They were really, really hurting. And then the Lord um, gave me this scripture in chapter 58, Verse 9, it says, if, uh, in the ha- latter half of it, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of finger and speaking wickedness, they were gossiping in the foyer like crazy. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. This church was 58 years old. It was an old church. Beautiful building. Huge. And your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and he'll satisfy satisfy your soul in the drought and strengthen your bones, and you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you shall build the old waste places, that old church. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations had been in that church. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. The church was in so much debt what, eight million or something, when we got there, that Dawn um, took, there were five office complexes in that building, and he took a bunch of them and made apartments out of them so we could hire staff because they couldn't pay rent. We couldn't afford to pay the staff enough to pay rent in the Silicon Valley. It's expensive. And so when that verse came, you know, that it'd be a prayer of the breach and a restorer of streets to dwell in. I thought they're dwelling in the church. They're actually dwelling in the building, like streets going through the building. And it was just a description of exactly what that was. And I knew we were to go. And the Lord really um, turned the church around. It didn't have revival until COVID hit, and Michael decided to open the church and not shut it for any reason after everyone was allowed to open at Easter. Um, And they have gone after him and gone after him, and now they're trying to go after the school. But the Lord has kept him. And watched over him. And I could tell you many stories about the miracles and that whole thing. But I love that God had his eyes on that church and those people. And he loved them. And he said, if you'll repent and turn around, I'm going to heal you. And the church is exploding. And it's having people from all over the city. The newspaper kept 
printing bad stuff because it's a liberal newspaper in the Silicon Valley and oh this guy's opened his church and you know aren't you afraid you're going to you know kill people and I mean even other pastors in town that were shut said that oh he's going to kill people you know with COVID and he said no I've got people that are suicidal that need to come talk to us I've got people that are losing loved ones and losing their businesses and their finances and they're in despair and they need a church to go to and I have to shepherd these people. And so the newspaper got a hold of him one day and said, we are not going to talk about you anymore because every time we talk about you, your church grows. Because people read the paper and go, oh, there's a church open in town, and then they go. So, you know, in the midst of all of that wickedness, God reigns. He reigns. There's a verse Cassidy and I have talked about many times. Though the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise a standard against him. And that is in this book also, in chapter 59, verse 19. That one you need to memorize. Put that one up on your fridge. Well, there's so much more. Just close here in a minute. In, in 61, I love the fact that in 61, he talks about what he says in Luke. And the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to beat, the, to uh, heal the brokenhearted. This is what Jesus came to do. And in Luke chapter 4, he got up in the town where he grew up in Nazareth, and they handed him the scroll to read the scriptures in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and this is what he chose to read. And when he read it, he said, This scripture is fulfilled today in your hearing. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison and those who are bound, to proclaim an acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus stops there, and if you're reading in 61, in verse 2, you'll see that he stopped, for he said, in the day of vengeance of our God. Why? Why would Jesus stop before the end of a verse when he was reading Luke? Well, he said about that previously that that was fulfilled in their ears because he was Jesus and he was there and these were the things he was going to do for the next three years, which, by the way, is what he does in all of our lives to this day. He heals the brokenhearted and um, he proclaims liberty to the captive. That is who our Jesus and our Savior and our Lord is. But on this day in Luke, he left that out. Why would he leave it out? He left it out because it wasn't fulfilled yet. He wasn't fulfilling that. That is the end times when the day of vengeance of the Lord would be when the Lord returns and there's a great judgment. And so he stopped before he got there. Isaiah, in writing this, maybe didn't even understand that. I don't know. Sometimes the prophets like Daniel would say, you know, I was faint because I just didn't, I didn't understand. I was weak from the prophecies. And Lord, what do you mean? And when is this happening? And maybe Isaiah didn't get it. And I read this and I thought it was, uh, this was by McGee also. And he lived in Pasadena, California. And he said, what happened in the scripture is Isaiah went from the first coming of Christ and he hopped over to the second when he said the day of vengeance of the Lord. And he said, Isaiah probably didn't understand that was going to be two different separate events. But he said, it's like this. I live in Pasadena, and I look up at the mountains. I grew up in Pasadena, so I know those mountains. Kathy does, too. She lived there, too, for a while. There's a huge mountain called Mount Wilson. And behind Mount Wilson, on the edge of the city, 
is uh, um, Mount Waterman. And if you would just stand in Pasadena and look at those huge mountains in California, you would think it's one mountain range, they're connected, they're you know one after the other, you know how mountains look. But if you really know those mountains, you know that there's 25 miles between those two mountains. So there's this you know valley between separating the two mountains. And that's what McGee said. He said Isaiah's looking at it as almost one mountain because this is all he can see at this end. We are now after Christ coming, uh, Christmas coming, that, you know, when he was on earth, the first coming of Christ. And we are on the other side of that first mountain. We're at the time where we're looking at the second, which is going to be the day of vengeance of the Lord. That is going to be the tribulation. That is when Christ is coming again. He'll reign for a thousand years and millennia. And so we're in this valley between the two comings of Christ. We are at the time of the rapture, and he is going to come get his church. So that just helped me. Does that give you a good picture of that? It really gave me a good good picture. I love McGee because he's very old-fashioned, and he just, just says things so anybody can understand it. He paints a good picture for us. The rest of the book, 65, and we don't have time to go through it, through 66, the prophet prays a fervent prayer to the people in 64, with the king, with the people, and he wants to break through all the barriers with the Lord. And 65 through 66 contains God's answer to that plea. Lord, come. God, save us. God, help us. And it contains the answer to that plea. God makes it clear that there is sin and unfaithfulness, and that is what brought down God's judgment on Israel. But he will keep his promise concerning the kingdom of God. He's going to keep his promise for Abraham and for his people and those that come and accept Christ, those he's going to take to heaven with him, those he's going to watch over. And the end of the book, I love the end of the book, the nations gather together in the end, and it says in verse 22, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. I've thought a lot about that lately. I thought, what's it going to look like? What is that going to be like? When we look at the heavens today and the stars and the first creation of the earth and how beautiful it is, what is God going to do? I don't know all the answers, like Isaiah. But you know what? Whatever it is, it's going to be awesome. Because it says at the end of Revelation, Hallelujah, the Lord our God reigns. Amen? Amen. God bless you.